are here in this beautiful Sunday, Sunday morning here. Um, I guess I should introduce myself, right? I'm sometimes V. I'm sometimes V, V of the sometimes. And then we have over here on my right, Paris the Testament, Testament of the Paris, Paris of the Testament. <laughs> and then on my other left, depending on what type of left that you have, left or right, we got Kylie Too Smart, the smarts of the toots, the toots of the smarts. <laughs> Smarting tootingly. Uh, so yes, we are here. This is Lady Blurzings Blue. Thank you for dealing with us for our three-week hiatus. We haven't been here in a minute uh, since we've been in between like Mag West and also um, Beautifully Uncomfortable. We got our side, we got our side missions here. Not quite the main mission, but we always got our side missions here. That could be the main mission. <laughs> you like my interchanging, interchanging bullshit here. Um, <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm being so out of pocket. Uh, please tell us how your week is going. How's your week? Uh, while you guys are waiting around, it is a Mentimeter. Please go ahead and go to menti.com and use the code 3303-8113 to let us know how your week is going. Uh, we will toggle the image uh, to see if anybody put some submissions or anything that we need to kind of unpack. But while that is happening, Paris, how's your week?
Um, I, yeah, looks like the torch has passed back to me. Um, my week is going pretty good. Um, I am resting, um, from a very heavy, like, weekend, and also resting from the three weeks that I was basically in California. Um, the, the time there did not start off on a positive note. Um, lots of grieving and lots of, um, hanging out with friends to reflect on memories that were worth reflecting on. Um, and it was a good time, uh, luckily enough, so I had a really good support system. But then going to that, from performing at the Modern, or not Modern, the San Jose Jazz Festival, that was really fun. That was like probably our fourth year performing at the Jazz Festival uh, with 7th Street Big Band. So it was just kind of nice to like be back on like the, the, the normal home grounds of, of San Jose and doing the thing. And then lastly, I did perform, coordinate, and panel at Mad West. So it, it was a lot of work, but it was work that was worthwhile. Um, and I ultimately had a really great time. And um, I learned a lot. And I, I told this to my partner the other week, but I'm like, every time I do an event like this, I just grow a little bit older, like a little bit wiser. Like there's a new insight I gain as a person whether it's like handling problems or handling, you know, how to mitigate between things with people or um, learning how to come, come across when, it, when I'm trying to like, you know, let people know what the schedules are or even just like, you know, kind of internalizing like, it's not always about me, it's, it's more about the larger picture. I think I had a lot of that insight through the last few weeks. So I, I'm feeling very refreshed on like a mindset aspect, um, but ultimately I am still recovering. <laughs> so lots of sleep. I haven't been back to the gym yet, which I'm like, need to get back into those weight rooms. Um, but that's okay. I just need, I think I just need to kind of recalibrate and, um, you know, restore my HP as some of the nerds would call it. Um, so, Kai, what about you? How's your week? Oh my gosh, my week um, has been incredibly busy and also a huge learning curve. Um, I feel like I'm blessed that people who are always continuously putting me onto new things and like having you and Prowess in my sphere of influence and getting to meet all the people at Mac West um, definitely was just like a boost to my life. You know, like we all go through moments where like things just seem a little gray or things just seem really difficult and you're like really chugging it out and then you get like this community interaction that just gives you more energy to keep going. So that was my week and um, I'm hoping to just, I'm just continue to ride some of those positive energetic wings and um, expand the business. So I've been doing really well with our and uh, we're working the West End celebration this weekend, which has been nice to see, like the Zan City Seaside family, and it's really spread out. So it's like four blocks, so that was really nice. People are wearing their masks. There's two stages set up, and just a lot of art and um, crafts, and good food. People just chilling. People bringing their dogs. So it's it was really nice. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention. I uh, 
so Shubs, sister of Sistren of the show. Shubs, Sistren, Shistren. <laughs> oh, you got her sticker. I got her. Sticker. I also bought her shirt. <laughs> away on the records um but yeah it was really really dope i i'm kind of glad i moved up here because i get to be closer to them and get to see that hardcore scene um so i'm really looking forward to that uh but yeah they they opened up for chris Wa the chris waffle explosion which by the way never heard of chris waffle ever until last night and it was the most cutest but beautifully white nerdcore thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and they know it. <laughs> Are his fans waffles? No. Oh no, yeah, no, there was no waffles. I Yeah. Oh shit. We should probably talk to them about that. Because yeah, they were not slinging waffles. And I'm really sad about it now. I'm really sad. What's wrong with y'all? It's so humble. 
It's so beautifully humble. And apparently that they are very involved with their community and they try to like really like lift up uh, DEI everything. Like and not on a performative aspect. Like they actually are genuinely concerned about the community and they will do things. I think um, Sarah is a councilwoman for her city. I don't know which city that is, but it was just really cool to see that. And then also I learned that their daughter is a trombone player. So I'm like, hey, let's hang out. <laughs> Some people be trifling, trifling with that yeah. white nerd before, but no, they are not. It was it was beautifully perfect. Like there's things where I see people do white people things, and I'm like, that was actually fucking great. Like, <laughs> like I ain't even mad at it. It's not racist. It actually taps into your culture. Like, please put that That's on a pedestal. Please put those things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You don't have to borrow from other people to do what you're doing. Or if you're gonna borrow, like, be accountable. Right. Sorry, Paris, I didn't mean to step all over you, please. Oh, no, no, I'm just <laughs> glad to hear their, their I'm, I'm glad to hear the experience is that. Um, and, and two, on top of that, it's like, it makes it great that you have uh, shows and movies on a field like that. Like, I, I wish I could have been there to see that. But it sounds so dope. It was, it was dope. I do recommend definitely do recommend um but yes of course Shubs and Bill they Bill B, they killed it like they always kill that shit like like Shubs did the alabaster song and she comes up to me she's like I just did that shit I was afraid that I was gonna get jumped and I'm like no girl we got you like <laughs> oh my god uh, but yeah it was a great night sorry I didn't mean to take over the whole the whole thing um Let's actually see what folks submitted for their uh, how's their week. So we got well rested, love it, love to hear that. Guess oh that my was gosh, eight hours. I need that. I need some of that. Where is that? <laughs> Where do they do that at? <laughs> yeah. It looks like everybody has an eight-year-old these days. So we got two eight-year-old submissions. Winky face that clop because uh, <laughs> clops in the chat just living, and we appreciate you. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it looks like uh, he, he had an eight-year-old that had a birthday party. It went super well. I'm glad to hear it. Apparently, was it Sonic-themed cloth? Is that what you're saying in the chat? Um, but, and then I see the one that says, like, it's coming up, me house. I don't know what that means. Um, that, that's, I put that because instead of, like, the Simpsons, everything's coming up, Millhouse. house. Um, oh. Really cool fucking friends. You got right. cool fucking friends now. Well, <sighs> uh, all right. Let's go ahead and pivot uh, to the next thing before we get ourselves all held up here. Um, so I do believe that we have a power wisdom encourage segment today, um, yeah. which is going to be about some current events, 
student loans, what does that mean to us? A quick debrief for those who've gone to college, completed college, gone to college, did not complete college, um, wanted to go to college, but intimidated by this whole like trifling ass like student loan situation. Um, and so it's like, like there's lots of feelings that are coming from this, which understandably so. Like this was something that was supposed to help with our futures and it ended up like plaguing our future. Um, and so, um, I don't know if any of y'all want to take the floor on this real quick. Um, I'm more than happy to start. Please let me know. Um, yeah, I mean, did, so did you get an email? So I think all three of us, we have gone to college. Uh, all three of us have at one point probably considered loans. I know I have student debt and loans. Prowess, are you, is that something you I want have, to discuss or disclose? disgusting amount of student loans and debt. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. same, <laughs> likewise, I also have loans and debt, and I'm kind of riding the wave of, like, I've been forgiving them. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> on your own forgiving them? Yeah, like, I think, yeah, I think, no, no, <laughs> it's like leaving a toxic relationship, if they're unresolved, that's okay, I get to move on with my life. <laughs> It's, it's their problem, not mine if they are held up, you know, if they're all caught up. I've moved on. I've seen other men. Like, <laughs> I'm looking at different debt now. Thank you. Uh, Emotional debt. <laughs> I keep laughing out of, I'm, I'm more wanting to cry out of solidarity here with everything yeah. you're saying. These are jokes, not real jokes. They're like, yeah, no, these aren't jokes. These are not a joke. Uh, but I'm laughing. Real life. Yeah. Uh, so... Have any of you guys received the email like, ah, oh, student debt is a discussion that's going to be happening and we will be coming with you with further information. I got that email this morning. Oh, I haven't gotten that yet. I haven't gotten shit. If anything, I've been looking at my Nelnet account hella hard being like, when are you going to, when are you going to like, you know, give me a discount <laughs> on my interest? It is a very, uh, yeah, it, it, I haven't received an email like that, but I did get a lot of calls prior to the announcement because I think loan servicers were confused as to what was going to happen. So explaining the process that when, you know, the forbearance is lifted, what needed to happen from there. So um, I've been ignoring those calls lately. But yeah, because a lot of them are coming off scammy, right? Yes, they very much are. And I don't know what is real, what is what is not. So, yeah, I've been ignoring a lot of them. Um, but, yeah, keep going, Kylie, because I, I have a lot to say on this topic here. <laughs> well, uh, I just wanted to kind of open the playing field and get it so that we all know what our situation is. We're, we're oh. communicating from that space of, like, all three of us are dealing with this issue. It's affecting mm -hmm. us in our day to day. And you can just clearly from that small interaction, see what the burden is and what the stress is and the importance of having that in your life. So can I start with like, yes. how many people actually get a good paying job right after college? Like disproportionately, like who can actually afford the proposed payments that is suggested? So I'm one of those people who, right after school, I got, I came out of, 
first of all, I am a first generation um, college student, which I'm sure some of us can relate here on this on this uh, episode that my mom didn't go to college, my grandparents didn't go to college, the other side of the family, they didn't go to college. They probably got some certificates, but they didn't really go through the full like four year dream, as I'll put it. Um, and even if I were to call it a dream, there was still some classism associated with that because like I went to a, a commuter school, a city college, a state college versus other folks who have gone to Ivy Leagues who are just, you know, given the golden egg of, of life. And so, um, and I know that's not necessarily true for now all Ivy League folks. I know Ivy League folks who are like in, in like some trenches right now. So I feel you and I hear you, but you know, anecdotally speaking for me, I think that if I'm a first college student or first generation college student, there's lots of resources that are not shared with me until it's too late. And so luckily at the community college I went to, which is the same community college I went to Kylie, that's how Kylie and I really bonded. Um, we had a black vice, like equivalent of the vice president of student services. And he just paved the way for me, all these resources. And so for a black man to help me through all of that, first of all, is heavy because the discourse about black men helping black women has never been the case. So like, you know, kudos to Carsbia Anderson for really helping me out there. Um, and he had a friend who was also kind of like within the administration of that community college named Larry. I forgot his last name, but his name was Larry. And he also helped me show the way to get like scholarships and resources and get through school. Um, so they had to show me the way and they had to kind of hold my hand through it all because I didn't know how to do it myself. Now, after graduating FEC, which I thought like, oh great, people are so helpful to regular college. That's not the case. You learn about things too late. There's actually systematic um, <clears throat> discrimination that goes on in a regular college. And so like, I felt that every way that I moved through there, I was getting bogged down. And anytime a teacher would talk to me, it was always a white teacher and they thought I was lazy because I'm plus size and black and name it all or not understanding the concepts because like, you know, I had to really overcome a lot of like language barriers to understand what the fuck people were talking about. Cause I'm sitting here like, I understand poor people dialect, which I'm saying that very casually, but I understand like, you know, folks who like grew up in the hood and folks who like, you know, have like a specific type of like language that they grow up with communicating with each other. And then you go into like academia where you're just like, shit, I'm having to translate new shit. And people are looking at me like stupid because I'm not getting it right, right off the top. Um, some folks will say, well, you got to read more, but it's like, I've done so much reading in college. I want to throw up the words. <laughs> um, so with all that being said, not only that, like the scholarship money that I had did me really well, but at the same time, I kept running out of scholarship money because rent, not having a job. I didn't get hired through the school until my third year. I also didn't get a job until after my second year after applying for many, many, many jobs and no one wanted to hire me because you don't have a degree or you don't have work experience or you don't look like you're capable of doing the job because you're black. We're not gonna say it aloud because you're black and you're a woman. And so um, all in all, with all that being said, I had to pull out loans to like, you know, make ends meet. And I didn't understand what the, there was two terms, there was, um, there was not substantial, it's um, 
there was two terms. There was one loan that would not increase with, that would not give you any interest. And there was another loan that did. And I had to pull out both because I was qualified to pull out all that money. Oh, subsidized versus unsubsidized. Thank yeah. you, thank you, subsidized. And so I had to pull out both, again, to make rent um, and to feed myself and to, you know, buy my books and get a new computer, which my original computer crapped out on me in my last semester. And so I had to pull out all that money because I had nothing else. So then here's the, here's the catch. So you get the degree, you're like, yes, all my problems are solved because now I can actually start applying for jobs. No one tells you that some jobs need credentials, which cause you to do another couple of years of school that you may not get financial aid for, or some jobs are like, well, your, your degree doesn't, isn't compatible with this workplace because it's not a golden ticket for you to get the job. So lots and lots of people are doing six plus eight months of research of trying to get a job, whether if they got the connections or not, which whole discourse about privileged people living with their privileged ass parents about getting the job right off the bat, which I can talk about that all day. But yep. going back to just trying to find a job, it took forever. And I had to like beg my friends like, hey, I'm going to end up on the street or sleeping in my car if I don't get a job. So it doesn't become about passion in your field, it becomes survival. And then after the six months when you're done with school, Nelnet comes at you being like, okay, time to pay up. And you're like, I don't even have a job that pays like 54 grand a year yet. And you're asking me to pay $300 a month on top of the other bullshit that I have to take care of myself with. $350 and plus some, with a car payment, with groceries, with rent, with a job that doesn't even pay you like more than 50K a year, that's a lot of fucking money. And so you're just plagued being like, oh my God, I have to pay this back. Like what's gonna happen if I don't pay this back? Am I gonna go to jail? It's gonna be like the IRS thing where they're just gonna take all your shit. Like you're panicking. And so luckily there is like the forbearance option, but like even then you're still accumulating interest. I think I accumulated maybe 5K worth of interest because I didn't pay my loans consistently. Yeah. Like that's sad. Same. And now I'm in a position where I can start tinkering away, but the suggested amount for me to pay, like I would gain more interest than actually paying off the loan. Like I think I started off with 36,000, which I'll be transparent about. I'm out now at 40,000 because I haven't had money to start tinkering away at it. I haven't had a support system to go back to my parents and be like, I need to pay off these loans. That's my rant. Thank you for dealing with me. I'm done. <laughs> no, everything you said sounds so familiar. And yeah. it, like, I don't even have to double down on it, but double down on much of what you said. Um, everything you said, I relate to and connect to. And I think, especially, I feel like the pause around the experience of being first generation as a college graduate, and then the idea around um, the, the kind of situation that, that women, I mean, black women who are, who happen to be the single largest population of college debt holders right now, because we are the highest population of college degree earners right now. So it is, you know, it is disproportionate because we are, of course, not all making 
um, the money that that uh, offsets the the debt that's been looming over over folks. And there's been a lot of first generation high end terminal degree holders who are living with their parents. I mean, I, I live in my parents' own home. Um, and so being able to move, you know, into a situation that I think where you're able to make those decisions around how you organize your debt and how you really start to repay student loans requires you to be in a very healthy space, um, mentally and emotionally to be able to do that. Um, and so while, you know, black women hold the majority of the student loan debt, this, um, this uh, junction that, that Biden provided for, uh, for, for families, uh, I'll say for families and not just for the singular borrower because it does have a cumulative effect on families. But it's, um, you know, if you, if you earn less than $125,000 annually, you're eligible, eligible to get up to $10,000 in debt cancellation. Of course, if you receive the Pell Grant, you can get up to $20,000 forgiven, but there's also a high amount of black women, specifically in areas like California, like DC, like New York, where $125,000 is like, that's not even the median income. Um, and so there's also situations with that, where I feel like that has been the largest thing that I've been fighting against is like, wait a second, this is only eligible for people who make less than $125,000, um, especially when uh, the deferment and forbearance and the repayment plans have been a struggle for people. A lot of people have had to change jobs in the pandemic um, because of so many things, you know, obviously economically with organizations that had trouble sustaining, um, there's still layoffs in, 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 the, in the marketplace. Um, there's still sort of startups having issue and there's, you know, still a racial and gender divide um, yes. with, I think that's the part that is just like, it's not gender equitable, um, but you can't do the, you know, he's done the, the best thing for the greatest population. And that sometimes does not equal right out to like, well, it's not the most equitable solution um, because women in families, women in their families need more at this point um, to make a meaningful difference for them. So I feel I wish, all of the, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I wish people no. would understand that. Like women do need more. Like yeah. they just need more. And it's not us being greedy. It's not us trying to chase the bag. Yes. It's that literally means- because like our bodies are at risk all the time. Like our bodies are the ones that are first in line to procreate. Our bodies are the first in line to like have hormonal issues. Like our, like, and I'm not excusing the men's issues to be clear, but what I am trying to say is like, you know, if we're designed to give birth and this is just like a little like side note, like we're designed to give birth and like, you know, take extra time off because of giving birth or starting families or, you know, like even like dealing with our own like issues, I think women just need more money, like point blank. I I totally agree with that. And I think that is part of the issue. A friend of mine who um, is is a black man said, we got into an argument. He said, well, you know, you know how less people, how how little people make $125,000 a year. And I'm going, yeah, but not in, in my circumstance where I live, no, I don't know that many people because I know a lot of people who work in the federal government who make dangerously more than that um, in a you know in a very mid-level position. 
um, because of the cost of living where I am. And I mean, and, and both of you who are in very high cost of living, who are even in more high cost of living cities than, than it is here, but everyone has a, has a, a, a master's degree here. Everyone has terminal degrees. Everyone has a doctorate degree and something here. I live in one of the most educated states in the country. So it's this enormous obstacle, I think, that has been right it's sort of like you were it's it scratches the surface i think of student loan debt but i think there has to be a such a larger conversation and even like a committee that i would love to see that the white house investigates to just try and say specifically for gender and racial equity understanding all of those elements of what loan forgiveness the implications of it for for different uh, different people yes um, and how we're making ends meet um I would love to see that in a White House plan somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kylie, what's your take? I I think you took a little bit of a minute to complete school. So like, and you're someone who has loans even though you didn't get the result, like like what a traditional, <laughs> what a traditional student should have gotten. I love how you're like, complete school. <laughs> School's never completed. Um, I, I was recently, like, this conversation is like so on on time um, because I was just literally having a, a, a discussion with somebody who was talking about uh, the mentality that is in the black community around debt mm-hmm. and how that keeps us from really being opportunistic and you know taking more risks. But I really had to remind this person that the experience that they are having is not universal. And the risks that you are taking are not going to affect your life the same way. Um, just like you said, you know, where you're like, I don't have a, my parents that I can go back to if, if this risk doesn't pan out, right? Um, I am not at a, a social economical level yet where I can take those risks and know that there is an actual payoff, right? Um, I'm. I might not get approved for loans at the bank, you know, just going in and having the same proposal that this person walked in with just by the fact that um, I'm a woman or the fact that I'm black or the fact that I'm plus size, like all of these things, when we talk about experience, they're not theoretical, they're not feelings, they're factual, they are um, generational and they're very real in, in how we can plan for the future. Um, so determining what, what power plays you have on your chessboard and how you can maneuver, it would be ignorant to not take into consideration what is socially real around you. Yeah. So having that conversation and having, um, that discourse and then carrying over into this conversation of student debt and going to school when I was young, um, you know, I talk openly about my parents and their struggles with addiction and uh, my mom is in recovery and the fact that my father never did, but that shaped um, a core part of my childhood and my opinions and what I thought my options were. Yeah. Um, before them, that my grandparents' generation, highly educated people um, on both sides, educators in and of themselves, teachers in their own right, um, lawyers, doctors, people who are academic, right? So that gave me a different lexicon even. Um, Growing up homeless, growing up in crack houses, but also being very educated and reading and and having both of those experiences of 
being in extreme poverty and also going and living with family that were living in upper middle class and even very, very wealthy, just depending on what period of my life we were popping in on. So having those experiences, but knowing or having fed back to me, like I didn't have the counseling even in high school to talk about college. I didn't have those, those conversations were not offered to me. Those appointments were not made. So now I'm hearing from my classmates that they're having appointments with counselors. And even at MPC, I did have a positive experience with MPC, but even at MPC, they told me that the track that I wanted, because I was pre-med, was not something that was readily accessible to me. And that I, was, I should just pick something else because it's, it's just not possible. You do get naysayers in every college space, which is the most disappointing thing, which is the most disappointing thing, because like not only that you have to pull out all this money that will plague you for the rest of your life, you also have all these teachers who are not mentors. Not every professor is a mentor. Sorry, I just had to chime in. No, that's that's so true. Not not every professor is a mentor. Um, And I was struggling with, you know, outside issues that were affecting my school. And, um, you know, I would have semesters where my grades would dip. I would have semesters where my grades were awesome. And so it's like, you know, you know what you can do when you have lean focus, right? They're like, ah, but some people don't recognize that it's focus and peace to do that is sometimes a privilege when your basic needs are not met, right? And that's kind of like where we're at in this discussion of like getting loans because we are striving for brighter futures and we are striving to build um, things that, you know, we want to keep perpetuating in a positive way. If you're starting behind, you're automatically put your, putting yourself in a mindset of lack, right? And I definitely, when I was younger, was so afraid of debt that I went to school semester by semester and I worked and just paid it off semester by semester. So I, for the longest, did not have any student loans until COVID. COVID was the first time that I took student loans out and it was to get my um, certification for massage. Mm -hmm. And my program is like 2000 hours because I took the advanced program because I wanted to be able to work in the medical field, right? That's what I've always wanted to do, pre-med and then just marrying holistic medicine with my background. But this was now being older, seeing how a mindset of being afraid of debt was keeping me from really being able to step up into the next tier. And unfortunately, I did not also have a great support system in terms of like being financially literate. I had to go chase that myself, which valid, many people do. So many people you know, do. I'm many still learning. people do. <laughs> you know, we're all learning, and that's part of the human experience. I think a lot of the things that keep us is like I was talking about before is like fear right fear of the unknown fear that this is literally going to put me in a position where I will not be able to survive I won't be able to eat I won't be able to afford my rent I will be homeless and I'm telling you yeah that experience is terrible and it's something that I work very hard to avoid because I have experienced it but don't let fear of those things keep you from having dreams and keep you from chasing dreams. Like, yeah, the debt, the student debt's terrible. But like V said, like sometimes it's mindset, like you can still live with it. And many people do, and many rich people do. And you have to learn 
most wealthy people in America who are like obscenely rich have declared bankruptcy at some point. They became financially literate. They knew how to work the game. Maybe they, they got a huge loan, they bought a bunch of properties, they chilled out, they went bankrupt, they, they had waited the seven years and then started again. So, um, yeah, you know, the thing about the White House of now having all these people speak out against this like student debt forgiveness program, a lot of those people themselves had debt. They had PPP loans that were forgiven. Like, yeah. A, lo a small loan of a million dollars. My father gave me a small One loan. Small of a million loan. Dollars. So like, you know what I mean? The scale, it's the scale of what we're thinking and how we're moving. Because when I'm talking about my student debt, I'm talking about like $15,000 right now, which is small. And I, I recognize it's small, but I also have not finished all of my degrees, right? And I can talk to somebody who's got their master's and who has 100K plus debt, you know what I mean? Like, so I recognize, I yeah. <laughs> My debt is relatively small, but for me, it still impacts me in a huge way, right? Um, I don't even like saying that. Uh, the debt I, is small? Yeah, or... the debt is small because I feel like, yes, that is proportional. And I, I think that's where you set up the idea around like, well, well equity-wise, it is not very small because any debt that a, a, a person of color has in this country is magnified against someone who's not a person of color in this country. And any debt that a woman has in this country is magnified against someone who's not. So I think that where you say that, I I, rec I recognize that, right, there is a, a, a self kind of evaluation that you're doing saying, well, I do know people with those amounts. I have over $100,000 in loans. But at the same time, I also, I, you know, that debt is difficult for me as well. Um, so it's just, you know what I mean? It's like in, in comparison, I know people, yeah, who are doctors who have the, who have triple the debt that I have um, and $900, $1,100 a month student loan payments um, who may be only, who, who are not in positions where I think everybody assumes that a doctor is making uh, even what I make and they don't and uh -huh. it, you know, they, didn't get a chance to have a good residency at a top tier, um, you know, R1 school, they are R1 research institution, they went to a secondary uh, institution. And so thus they're, you know, it's affected. So any so, debt. <laughs> Zay just mentioned in the chat that like his student loans stopped him from getting a home loan. Yeah. yeah. Like attack on millennials here. Holy shit. Yeah. It, the world does not want us to win. Like we're in that weird, we're in that cursed timeline that, that just spoke, that just spoke to me really heavy. I just wanted to lift that. I, yeah. Oh, it's so I infuriating. Say, yeah. I will say that, however, there are right now, there are mortgage lenders or, or it, it is still going on right now, but um, the interest rate is so high, it doesn't make a difference anyway in buying it. But there was a, at some point in time that as long as, as long as there is an extension on the loan, so you're not actively paying it, that student loan debt, one, can, there are some lenders who are applying that student loan debt in your overall mortgage application. I mean, I, God forbid, I would never want to do that. I couldn't afford to do that. My house would be a million bucks. 
but there are people who are doing it. And then two, as long as you don't have an active payment due on that loan, it's zero balance. And so there's ways for them to not add that to your overall debt right now. You can qualify for that. But again, this is also the worst time to buy homes as a, as a millennial buyer. Um, it's, it's extremely exhaustive. So I feel like there's, you know, there's those pieces that are just like, we don't always know that I, have a friend who's in charge of mortgage lending at at, uh, at uh, JP Morgan, and so there's there's work specifically on millennial home buying, um, and much of her work is on sort of demystifying the financial literacy process because a lot of banks um, tell you a lot of things that are not true, and yes. we go around believing those things because we just think that that is what you know. I didn't qualify, and then they don't tell you that the credit score was based on that there is a way for your, your for them to run your credit without that student loan payment um, included if it's not active and right now it is not joe biden has suspended that the payment for uh, offered a forbearance on it until the end of the year so it does suck but it's like they need to do you know those those tips don't come to us often because you know there's she's one of one of one in terms of of black women that work in the space uh, at JP Morgan. And yet she will tell you the majority of people that she works with to buy homes are black and Latino women. So it's interesting, right? The face of, of this is fortunately someone who looks like the audience, but it's wild that they only have one considering the fact that like, that's the biggest home buying demographic right now. Um, it, the overall thing is just sad. It's organizational bias. And, and someone, uh, V, you said that too, the systemic oppressive sort of financial burden, I mean, is also lack of education where we mm -hmm. just, you know, you go sign that promissory note. I joke all the time, like I signed to death row records and had no idea this 360 deal when I put that promissory <laughs> note. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know what I was reading, especially undergrad. Like I had no idea. Even grad school, I was to, to Kylie's point. Like you're, you're just trying to. I was just trying to make ends meet at that point in time, um, and I got to grad school and then realized, like, I mean, there is, you know, <laughs> there. I did not. I was not educated on how to be a financial steward of my own dollars, and like to that and like how rich people live like there's a lot of people i was in school with who were financing their education through um whole life insurance policies you know oh stuff gosh. like that rich people things that that i just didn't it was like what you're doing what you know or who had maxed out while they were in undergrad their 401k um and just put all of their money their whole entire spend into that and then were paying off their student loan um, or paying off their student debt from grad school for, for those dollars. But how many people are making a salary right after college? And we, you mentioned that too. So yep. like how many people have a good job enough to even put money into the 401k? I didn't think to do that. Um, so Because yeah. no one teaches you what that means. Like, yes. I, you get the simplicity like, oh, here's the TLDR about 401ks, retirement plans, IRAs, all this stuff. And you're just like, okay, that's nice. But what are the tax implications of that? What does it mean if yeah. I want to withhold my taxes for my 403B versus like, I want my taxes taken immediately out. Everyone's like, oh, the taxes will be taken out when you are ready to use that money. But it's like, but what does that mean? Like, does that mean like I'm paying a greater amount than I would have been like the then? 
So it's just lots of things that you're just like in the dark about, like, what the fuck does that mean? So we do got to pivot. We're, we're actually like a lot yeah. of us, so we do have a hard stop, but this was like a really good discussion. Like, cause we're, we're angry. Like it's great that like, cause we're, we're angry. Cause we're angry. <laughs> sings the angry blues <laughs> the blues are angry have you not heard ma Ra- rainy <laughs> do you guys know billy holiday do you know her do you know her <laughs> all right remember that clueless anyway yes yes all right so that was a really good topic y'all let's go ahead and pivot and talk about some nerdy and dirty um so we wanted to recap on our panel that we did at mag west um it was it had a really really good turnout uh really we swear we had a good turnout it was so good (laughs) um but yeah, the, the recap is like pulling up respectfully. Uh, we talked about how to flirt and essentially like, you know, talk about like, what does it mean to actually like, you know, shoot your shot, but not get all butthurt if the shot gets declined or, you know, what to do if the, sh- if the shot gets approved. Like, <laughs> Ding. Um, also, I really love that we had that like kind of technological interaction because we are talking about DMing, right? So we are talking in person, which is always better, about the difficulties of navigating a space that is not in person. And how do you do that when people can't read your tone, when people can't see your face, and like the joke may not be landing because they can't see your face. And also, would you, if you were in person, pull up and just say, hey? Oh, no. Yeah, that's not my flirting style. <laughs> that is not my flirting style. How, how many, many wives did that? At the end of that, hey. um yeah no how many whys does it take for someone to be like yeah that that's enough whys or not be like no baby that's too much cream please please hold back (laughs) please hold back in the background though that's that looks like a great turnout to me yeah it was i was i tell this to kylie all the time and kylie's like why are you surprised like i just like to set my standards at a specific bar so I don't disappoint <laughs> myself. No, uh, high standards only. <laughs> and then Kylie's like, high standards only. I'm like, okay, girl, you can you can float like that. You can do that. <laughs> but no, it was a really good time. Uh, you you can probably VIP crowd. Look at them. Yeah, look look. We got some familiar faces in there. We got uh, it's Mark fucking Cooper slamming down with the careless whisper vibes if those who weren't there actually you know what now that i'm talking about this i think we should have a watch party when the video comes out what's your guys we totally should that'd be great yeah i'm down for that okay yes let's do a watch party once uh mag mag mediatron uh releases the footage but yeah like we got we got some uh really good uh participation like folks submitted their pickup lines their nerdy pickup lines. Folks were eager to also like recite the pickup lines. Like, I know my homegirl Natasha just said, like, oh, I'm gonna recite mine. And I'm like, yes, girl, I see you. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then also folks were all willing to be vulnerable too about talking about their own romantic stories. Kai, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I I think that was probably one of my favorite parts of the panel was getting people to interact with us and tell us you know some of their experiences 
in what worked and what didn't work for them and what made them feel wildly uncomfortable. And I think it's when you're in spaces like that, it's so important to talk about how things affect you personally when they're not great, because then it really does put it into someone else's mind of, oh, like, I do, do I really want someone to ever really feel that way about me? And you're like, no. Um, and we're all just talking and being vulnerable. And I think my favorite was like the, the baker, who, the, the baker who was flirting on the business account and who was oh god it was bad and then on top of that like if you're flirting and it's in a business setting right so it's like the first thing we talked about was setting like are you in a social setting where this is an acceptable behavior like, no you're here on your business account asking someone or telling someone they look cute and then asking them what their ethnicity is and when they don't tell Oof. you stalking them on facebook to find out and then sending them oh your family's xyz that's too far You've gone boundaries. Yeah, that's not how to pull up. That is not how you pull up respectfully. That is also how you might possibly go to jail. Um, (laughs) What are the acceptable ways to flirt online? Maybe if you see that they like a Game of Thrones thing because their profile picture is a Game of Thrones thing, maybe be like, ooh, what's your favorite house? I noticed that you like Game of Thrones. (laughs) You know, uh, anything but like creepily commenting a on their body b pull up creepily (laughs) pulling up creepily um like telling people that you're really into them because of their ethnicity is also weird the fetishization is funky please do not do not do it private since you didn't have a chance to be with us um uh, what's, what, ha, what has been a very successful pull up for you and what is a annoyance? I, I, am bad at phrasing. You know what I'm trying to, to ask you. What is, what has been successful and what has not been successful? Whether if you're the receptive, whether if you're the person receiving that or delivering it. Ooh, uh, such a good question. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of those kinds of folks that I'm just, I'm very direct. So I just kind of honesty and transparency uh, work best for me, at least when I'm, um, you know, it's not uncommon when I was in the space to, you know, do that. It's not recently, I have not been able to be in those social spaces to do it, but, you know, it's not uncommon for me to be like, this is the guy I'm, I want, I'm going to go get. Like, I don't, what's the question here? move on let's go if he doesn't want to go then i'm not doing it right so i think that's the i just you know i i tend to i've tried all the different things and that doesn't work for me but honesty and transparency never fails me um i seem to have good success with that um there is and then i think for the same right they're the same for someone who um comes and approaches me and I prefer someone who's just more upfront and direct about their approach. Like you don't have to use a pickup line. You don't have to, you know, find a funny way to, um, to flirt. Just tell me, you know, you're interested and you'd like to get to know me better. Let's start working on that. Um, so I don't really, I mean, the cringiness of things of like setting, I think that's always hard because right now, those are complicated spaces. Um, 
I always tend to think to sort of proximity because right, like right now we're not in a space where, uh, and I mean, due to COVID everyone for, uh, I think is what I'm saying, sort of social settings have changed and you, there's a lot of the times you're masked. And so there's been, you know, people who've invited me to do things and I can't tell if it's, I'm, I'm, I may be lost on like, whether or not they're inviting me out because they're like flirting and they like me and they want me to accompany them for something as a date. And I just wind up having to ask to clarify that, right? Like someone asked me, oh, you want to come to, you know, I'm gonna put him on blast to come see like Lupe <laughs> Fiasco. Like I didn't ask if it was a date because it's like my homie. But, but at the same time, mental, like I know that I should ask, right? I should ask the intent of like, well, what is this, you know? just to make sure that he doesn't have any predetermined expectations or anything like that, just to be sure. Um, and those those are things that I think have fallen out of my, I don't know, maybe my my typical um, stance on where I would, where get clarification or clarity on like what exactly a person is interested in. Um, and I learned that a few years ago from a guy I was interested in and, and you know, I was doing all of the kind of overtly uh you know flirtatious things and then he just asked me it was like so you want to like hang out what 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 are you doing you know <laughs> can you tell me and i thought it was like and it's funny because i was you know in i was this person was long distance i was in he lived in a different country and it was like i don't know how we are going to hang out and he's like it's possible but like you have to want to you know want to do this and and I was like, oh, okay, that's all it takes. Like, I just had to say, you know, that that's what I wanted. And like, and then, you know, responsive. So it just- Grown up, grown up, yeah. wake up. Hello. Yeah, say what you want. Like, what do you want? You're like, you, you're doing all this extra stuff. What is it? Like, you're confusing me. He was totally lost. It was like, because of the cultural context, he was Jamaican. He didn't understand what the hell I was doing, right? It was like, what are you doing? Bro. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> and I think that's the thing though right that there are cultural contexts to everything when we are pulling up on someone like they may not understand what it is you're you're pulling up to do you know so getting clarity is very and being upfront and transparent about your intentions and your 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 thoughts and and what you want your desires is really important I think also because now we are extra isolated in terms of touch, um, that touch can be very easily misconstrued. So even asking consent, like we ask now instead of like automatically hugging people or shaking hands, or like yep. we, we ask now for consent, like, oh, is it cool? Like what, we're respecting boundaries. And I think it's forcing a lot of people to have more conversations and to apply that level of thinking mm -hmm. to more interactions. And I know like it, it can be something that is a little bit of a mental toll. If you are just not someone who spends a lot of time socializing, if that's not like a level that you really want to have to apply because the implications, if it goes wrong, right? Exactly. Nobody wants to be misconstrued. Nobody wants to be accused. Um, nobody wants to be violated and or feel like they're violating anyone else. Um, and it's those like mental checks of like minding your P's and Q's of how you wanna be perceived and how you wanna to move through the world. And then also just who you are as a person. Um, yeah. And just applying those 
um, in a practical way. I think we also get it twisted in our conversations um, around consent with only centering it around women. Um, and, you know, talking about how men have a lack of boundaries. Well, women, especially if you have been socially surrounded and brought up to be more touchy-feely, like I have no problems hugging all of my my friends, right? But I was socialized that way. And I feel like there really is a difference in socialization of men and women. And then when we come together in spaces, it's like learning and walking a totally different dance. Is it acceptable for you to go up and touch that man on the chest? And like, is that a, an interaction that he wanted? Are you only doing that because you think he's too shy to approach you? Are you treating this woman this way because you think oh. that she's been taught to not show you interest and so you have to be the aggressor? These types of situations where communication is not verbal and assumptions are made on how those interactions should go is really what creates a dangerous element. So having everybody be responsible and having everybody be comfortable talking about what their boundaries are and doing that without shame is really important, right? Um, being able to be like, oh, like it, I'm cool with you touching me in this way. Like I'm cool with you hugging me. And also not all touch has to be sexual. Like no, I said, you can and- be touchy with your friends and there's an intimacy there that's not sexual. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to No, 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 I was agreeing with you. I, I that echoed a lot because I used to be very touchy. Uh, the older I got, the less touchy I became. Um, and then also with the pandemic and the whole monkeypox situation, I've been very cautious about how I approach people, even if it's like platonic. Like last night, for example, I had to like really read body language to make sure like, does this person want to hug? Do they not? Should I hug them? Should I not? Um, even like with folks that I feel like I have a really good rapport with, I'll ask them before I hug them. Or for example, um, at Mag West, I put up a boundary being like, do not hug me at first. And then like, as I start to see how the weekend was going, I'm like, okay, now people can hug me. Cause now I changed my comfort, my comfort, my comfort level altered based off of like what the turnout was looking like for the event. So I didn't feel like I was at a risk anymore. Um, but yeah, like I absolutely feel that because like hugging, some people will misconstrue that as more than what it is when hugging should be friendly. Um, also, I feel like with my close friends, I can be a little bit more like, you know, hold hands or like, like lace the fingers and it doesn't mean anything. But I understand that some folks are not built to understand that it doesn't have to be sexual. And some folks will like get, will obsess over that thinking that I'm misleading them. And so because of such, I've had to hold back my authenticity of how I show care to others because it's been culturally misconstrued. Um, so yeah, it's, but also I don't want to cross boundaries because maybe that person has only received that type of touch in a specific type of way as well, where it's like, oh, if a girl does this, that means it's always this when really it shouldn't be so generalized, but it often is. Um, so that, that was my take on what you were talking about with like physical touch. Like prowess, you gotta take. Prowess, you gotta take. I totally agree. I feel like I've seen a lot more of people that are um, in situations with men who, because I happen to always be around an occupational hazard of being around men a lot who are creators in a space and then um, 
touch and what that boundary looks like because oftentimes I feel like even I it can make it be unless it's someone I've known for a really long time even in situations right it's still the awkwardness of like I'm not sure what to do and yet I talk to you all the time I see you all the time we hug all the time what but there's still a level of like people wanting to ask for consent every single time and me feeling like you should have a license to just be able to like, I know you're not, um, you know, crossing a boundary. I know that you're not, uh, the intent behind this touch is not um, anything more than friendship, but I still feel that I still see the kind of, you know, getting ready to hop into this rope of, and I need <laughs> you to give me permission or, you know, hold something out. So I know that you're going to reciprocate and that happens a lot. And I think and then to seeing how people are trying to put V, you said that where like people may not have the same expression of like a hug may just be a hug. And then other people may see it as being something romantic um, or, you know, or, or something else. So walking around, I learned how to, which was kind of a little bit sad, I think about now, like being in a space um, where you know i'm walking around in a room and there was like you know it's like a reunion it's all of our all of the artistic community is in there and so it should it's like all my brothers basically in this space i'm one of few women because that's just generally how my scene looks um in the hip-hop community it's not a lot of us and uh and at the end of the night you know a, a guy came up to me and said oh, you were you were you know lingering with all of these men all night long and it's like because that's who was in here. Um, this is not romantic. Like these dudes watch me grow up. They're not like, this ain't that kind of party. And it, even if they if, if they got that idea, like they know better. Um, you know, there's a certain boundary that I've set in terms of how I live my life and how they know how I roll. So this is not like, I'm not concerned at all about like me going to go cozy up to someone to take a selfie. Like they know what I mean. You know, so they know my intent and I know their intent. And so it's it's just very interesting that the guy was just taken aback. Like that seemed really like you were doing, you were allowing too much. You know, you were allowing people to get close to you and like hug you and touch you and pull you close. And it's and, like, and, yeah, as photos, you know? It's like, and that shit like is the thing that makes me upset is like, I will receive feedback from other very cis heterosexual men who are just like, you let them do all that. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking yeah, about. I don't like, understand. like why are, that? why are you obsessed with that? With the, the way that this person is like possibly touching me when we both have like, you know, the internalized agreement that it ain't like that. Like, exactly. like yeah. calm down. Or yeah. I also get where folks see me like talking about somebody. So like, you know, I'm not afraid to say that this person is adorable or that this person is very good looking or whatever. And, and I'm just comfortable in the current relationship that I'm in that like cash knows that I'm not trying to like hop into their pants. Like it's one of those things, like I will acknowledge the person of what they are and complimenting them and gassing them up. But then like you, there's another guy on the side being like, well, don't you got a boyfriend and why you gotta be all like that? I'm like, can you like, hold your horses real quick like let me compliment my friends and let them feel like some type of worth because they probably don't receive it from other folks because of the stigma that is going on right now in this in this moment um right exactly 
it's like just let people be loved like let people be loved (laughs) it's yeah let people be loved and then it really makes me question the the type of intimacy or love and language that was given to them when they were growing up Mm -hmm. were they never told that they were you know cute or handsome or like did their parents never cuddle them and like get did they just never receive that type of kindness Kylie, right? did you just say and that they forgot to touch grass? Is that what you just said? Yeah, they, <laughs> they need to namaste away from those negative vibes. Okay. Um, yeah. Shout out to Shoves. She was like, you look very namaste. Bitch. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the general Kylie vibe. Um, <laughs> that's just how Kylie do. <laughs> how we roll. Just how we be. Um, so yeah, just like having loving conversation that doesn't necessarily need to be sexual conversation as well like I speak very lovingly to my friends and I speak very lovingly to people in general but I also um, have that conversation like especially if I am online and um, when I'm establishing friendships online I tell them and I ask them hey so especially if I notice a shift in language when people start doing like the babes or the loves and the I straight up ask and say how are you using this right um because are you using this in a like romantic kind of way or do you just speak lovingly to your friends? Um, and just to be clear, this is how I'm using it. And like, just, I feel like that's part of what being an adult is, right? When you're actually forming relationships is establishing the boundaries of those relationships and growing within them and that, that comfortability and that intimacy growing within those friendships. That's just me. Yep. Yeah. Shout out to, to Klopp and, and Lord Zay for saying what I truly believe in too. It is a reminder to tell all your friends they're gorgeous and and, and yeah. Lord Zay that everyone in here is beautiful and, and and yeah, it's like everyone here is beautiful and we're all experiencing this moment together and that's the great thing about this is that being able to celebrate where we already have an understanding and um, community. Yeah. So, yeah. 100. All right, let's go ahead and move along. Uh, thanks for recapping that with all with us and unpacking some things about physical touch and what does it mean? How to touch respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> how to embrace respectfully. Um, so let's go ahead and move it along um, to some just nerdy. I did realize that on our agenda that I accidentally skipped uh, the call to action. So we'll go ahead and save that till the end. Um, so shows that are on our popular streaming services, there's shows being canceled left and right, which is nothing new to folks, but it can be upsetting when you get like involved with a show and then you're just like, oh, I was really immersed with this. And then suddenly like Netflix is like, ain't giving us no money. We're just gonna cut it. Like yep. just cut the head off, like let's go. Um, like I heard shows like Resident Evil, that new series got cut, but also it wasn't that great. It was very yeah, like I didn't I didn't even get a chance to get into it. Yeah. It, it, rest in peace to that show because it's just like cheese. Yeah. HBO isn't playing with anything. That was on Netflix. And Netflix cut things too. I oh don't know yeah, and HBO has that. cut things. I haven't been super intimate with HBO, but sorry, go on. Yeah, no, Netflix I think is doing it and at least being. Um, they're they're not being quiet about it. So HBO is doing it, and they are not mentioning what they're actually doing until they've taken off and their HBO Max originals and HBO originals, 
from their streaming service. So like everyone else, Netflix generally tells you now what's leaving at the end of the month. They will at least tell you when something is canceled. There's usually some press around it, um, but not with HBO. I don't know why they have been um, doing that. I did try to investigate. They've removed like 36 titles um, and a lot of it is just like the pending merge between um, Discovery Plus, which is owned by Warner Brothers. Discovery is the reason why this is happening, but they're trying to bring like their content catalogs together under one platform. But, you know, it's like tell folks you're going to be removing removing content and let them understand, you know, or, or, or know in advance. And so they've taken a lot of things off um, without giving intention around what exactly that means, right? That's canned example of just like, we're going through a corporate merger or we're going to try to, you know, unify our, that's very- Oh yes, a restructuring of sorts. Yes, <laughs> ah, yes the restructuring, the takeover. Yeah. What um, are you using to take the shows that you are? Like what's the, you know, what kind of um, criteria is being used to like take this content off and what happens to the creators of that content um, and the writers and, and animators and all of the other things that the staff that goes into that um so very sad yes absolutely um yeah i was feeling some type of way about i mean i've always felt some type of way i will always say like bring back glow like when it comes to the netflix items mm -hmm. things like bring black glow bring back sense eight like those were such good shows and then they just got cut resident evil i'm not so like about I feel like there was some forced like black solidarity going on because like Albert Wesker is black but like <laughs> also at the same time like we all know that a top top executive of a major company is never that in, in our narrative right now and who's often super evil unless you're talking about the Supreme Court guy uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I like how you did that um, but other than that, like, I felt like there was a little bit of forced solidarity with that. And, like, I can see it, like, being like, okay, this was a fan fiction. Someone wrote a fan fiction, let it come to life, and it didn't really land. And that's okay. Mistakes happen, so cut those mistakes. But don't cut things that people were really passionate about. Like, Glow was great. Like, women wrestling. <laughs> I love that we're determining mistakes on, like, how passionate we are about them. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm -hmm. Are there shows that, folks in the chat, please give it to me, like, were there anything that you guys were like, man, that was, that was a show well, that was, that was something that was really well written. That was something that I could be involved with for the rest of my life. I will die when like season 32 comes around and I, and I'll be in a happy place. Like, just let me know if you have any of that. I think also, um, like, I love you guys had touched on the creators and how it, how it's affecting them. Right. Because I was reading an article and then within that is, you know, a creator that's talking about the fact that they, were motivated to make the show for their kids and now their show is going into a vault and who knows what's going to be happening with it and now they're like i feel as artists you know if you put so much into a show and then you never get to release it or you write a book and it never gets to get out like how do you guys feel about that particular aspect of what's going on and how large of an impact do you think that would have on somebody's life Say that again, Kylie. Like as artists, because you know it it takes years to put things into a show, right? Or years to yeah. pull concepts together. 
And you know, you have people who are creating shows and utilizing personal stories. We've talked about that before, how writers are drawing from their personal lives and artists are pulling from their personal experiences and putting them into shows. And then now you have this shift where your art is going to be put into a vault and we don't know when it's going to be released or if it's going to be released. And if you were writing a show for your kids specifically, knowing that they're not going to watch what you created and that it might actually be illegal for you to share it with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about that? Like, um, I think it's, it's uh, without saying specifically how these folks feel, I think I would feel really let down. I think there's, you know, you, the, I don't have enough <laughs> emotional intelligence, I think, to trust that creative process and so you wonder if it's like ever going to come to fruition um and something you've been working so so hard on and spending so much time on and then really having to trust 100 trust blindly trust the process and that process may not be i mean you the process is set up with the leadership and with the folks that the agreement and that you have worked on um, your material under that umbrella or under that guise. And then all of a sudden, those relationships change and leadership and management and the framework of what you built then changes. And so for me, I would be a little bit, um, I would be upset and thinking about how, you know, what's my, my process internally right now of trying to um, understand and like I said have this sort of problem solving to, to really uh, go through whatever the judgment I need to have around like it's not any longer my content um, you know and I think that sometimes the way it happens I years ago it's been probably about three no it's been about four years now I sold a song to HBO for a series called Westworld which everybody knows about this the series never used my song but HBO owns the song. So at any point in time, I it's no longer mine. I didn't ha- have enough foresight at that point in time. Sync licensing was still new. And I didn't know, I didn't review the contract. I was just so happy to sell a song. Um, <laughs> but at the time, right, it's like once that happens, if the if the rights are not, I still own the 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 creative rights of the song, the copyright of the song, but I don't own the the digital rights to the song anymore. So HBO owns it infinitely. I don't know. They may never use it on a series. They may choose to use it on something that's not even Westworld. They can actually take and change the song, the the contracts as they can use it in any capacity. They can take and uh, make amendments to the content as they want. So they can take uh, what's supposed to be, you know, the chorus and make it the whatever. They can put it in a different song if they want to. They It's theirs now to do whatever they want to in terms of that way. So it's just like, if that never happens, right, is to just, did the means justify the end? No, it did not. I should have, you know, been more effective in, in my judgment. Um, but I think that happens to a lot of artists, um, especially with sync licensing now being so popular that people think that that is a method, you know, to go. And it's like, this can happen to you too. Oftentimes those contracts and um, are not slanted towards you. You have to really know how to read them and get a lawyer to look over them. Um, yeah. Yeah. No one has get a lawyer. Time. I feel like that is the whole thread of this episode. Get a lawyer. From your <laughs> Wait, I need a I need a love lawyer to be pulled yes. up. 
I need yes, a love lawyer yes, to be pulled up on. I'm recording this whole interaction. I hope you know. Are you consenting to possibly flirting with me? <laughs> let let Lady Blairds be your love lawyers, so yes, we can let please. you know and reassure you. All right, let's go ahead and move along. Um, we do have a big move Monday this week. The wonderful, the established, the fantastico, Chase Bethia. <laughs> Chase has been a doll to work with. I, I'm not blessed. I, I like wonderful composer. Um, lot like just an award-winning gem all in itself. Um, he had a, I think this was his first Mag West debut where an orchestra actually did play his music. Um, and I had the honors to also be part of that orchestra. Uh, that orchestra is called the Virtual uh, Video Game Orchestra. Uh, they do a lot of their content online. It's really nice stuff. It's well organized um, and the production value is just great. But they didn't do Chase's music online. <laughs> we did it live. Um, and so it was just really cool to see like a black composer in the video game space doing the damn thing. He's also super freaking nice. Like, yeah, super so nice. Yeah. Awesome. Like, um, offered to help me carry my table, which I didn't know who they were at the time. It was really, like, it was, like, super nice. <laughs> I salute you for that, for, for, for doing that. That is awesome. Yes. I was wondering about that table, how you were getting around places, but <laughs> Mag West. Yeah, she she had the bellhopper and all that. <laughs> I saw her come in with all her stuff. I'm like, you good? And she's like, I got it. I'm like, okay. I feel you because I carry around a bunch of like heavy instruments. Um, but yeah, like Chase is kind of like one of those hidden gems. Like he's not part of like any mainstream games yet, but he's on the rise. So I would just keep your eyes on him, just making sure that, you know, just, and then if you know, like of anybody who needs a composer, hit him up. He's great to collaborate with. I just seen like the robust amount of emails that went into orchestrating his pieces and he's just like very flexible and has a whole team himself. So um, yeah, so please check him out. I will also put his website, as you guys see me copying and pasting, live on Twitch. <laughs> on <laughs> Multi-talented, sometimes be, sometimes copy paste, sometimes tech <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, like, knows the technologies, but is not very, I'm not very fluid. I don't step on your toes when it comes to dancing. Um, Aww. but yes, uh, yes, check out his stuff. He's wonderful. Um, and then also kind of going into uh, just our uh, call to action, student loan forgiveness, check the websites, make sure you're checking your emails. I encourage folks to kind of stay on top of such because I want you to take advantage of your deep discount of your student loan. <laughs> oh, V, I couldn't tell if that was so sarcastically, but that was a perfect way to say <laughs> that deep discount that you're getting, please. That deep discount. <laughs> <laughs> they will reach in and take it in half and be like, but we're still going to add in interest. So watch that interest rate go from like whatever nasty 12% to like maybe 20 and then you're fucked. <laughs> so... <laughs> Before we wrap up and say goodbye, Prowess, would you mind um, just running down some of the significance of today, the actual date in terms of what's going on historically and what's yeah. going on now? Yes, so today is um, August 28th, uh, 2022, as we know, but it's um, a part of Give828, hashtag Give828, which is a national day of giving focused specifically on supporting Black-led and Black-benefiting organizations. Um, this takes place at the end of uh, August as Black Philanthropy Month, um, and so it 
828 is a is a pretty historic day because it commemorates multiple critical historical landmarks and black americans march toward freedom um starting with august 28 in 1955 it's when um 14 year old emmett till was brutally murdered uh, by three white men becoming sort of the flashpoint in the civil rights movement and then in 1963 on this day dr martin luther king jr delivered his iconic i have a dream speech in washington dc um, and then in 2005, Hurricane Katrina made landfall in Louisiana. Um, and the storm, which obviously devastated New Orleans, inordinately impacted many of the city's Black residents. So it is an important day. And then lastly, on um, August 28, two, 2008, is when then-Senator Barack Obama accepted the Democratic nomination for president and became the first Black man ever to win the nomination and bid for the presidency which um, just comes at another critical juncture when we're kind of experiencing disproportionate impacts of COVID-19 in the Black community, inflation, social injustice that um, Black communities continue to face, and the vital need we know for increased resources in Black communities. Um, so today is part of that Give 828, hashtag Give 828 uh, movement. Um, and yes, we, we would hope that that folks would have an opportunity to contribute, um, whether that's Mindshare or learning about any of those particular um, resources and or giving today. Yes, I know the nonprofit that I currently work for is participating in Black Philanthropy Month. Um, I didn't realize like how many significant events happened in this on this day, but it's just incredible how like coincidentally life syncs up that way. Yes. And luckily we are able to find a way to support and lift those who are in need um, but also celebrate the ways that we have made progress in society due to the challenges that have been faced um so yeah it's dark but also we're trying to find the light in it which is always the best thing for that yes exactly um kylie did you have any thoughts on that as well no um I mean, yes, all of the thoughts. <laughs> Do we have the time? Do we no, have the time? Nah. No. Um, I just want to reiterate that when we are looking through these historical events, especially as children of the sun, <laughs> um, that we take into account and we take in space to remember that while all of these traumatic things were happening, while we have inherited those traumas, um, we have also inherited the grace and the strength of those who came before us. Um, so be kind with yourself, um, practice those boundaries, and you know, be be as soft with yourself as you can. We're all going through rough, rough times, I promise you, but you'll get through it. You can do it. Yes. Good work. <laughs> I, I guess being kind and gentle is the key. So with, with that being said, thank you, Kylie, for closing that out on such a wonderful note. Um, thank you for listening to Lay Blades, Things of Blues. You can listen to this recording on your favorite podcast app this Monday. You can follow up primarily on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you know, Lady Blurred's Pod or Lady Blurred's Podcast. You see it in our screen right here. So please just make sure if you haven't followed us yet, just give us a little follow. Give us some support. We don't ask for a lot, we, but we do love your love. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, you can also catch us on Thursdays chatting in our spaces at 6 p.m. PST, 9 p.m. EST. 
Um, and also we do make announcements every so often. If we catch us live, we do do giveaways. So make sure if you do come to our events, we always give stuff away. It's always fun. Thank you again, Morrison Wade for contributing the nice skin, the skin cares. Um, but folks got brownies, folks got shirts. It's been a whole thing. So thank you so much. Um, and we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye.